Hey everyone, before we start the episode, I wanted to share some exciting news. We have a YouTube channel now. We started posting our episodes with some cool images and videos, so you should definitely go check it out. You can find us at On Wildlife Podcast, and don't forget to subscribe. Now let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to On Wildlife. I'm your host, Alex Ray. On this podcast, we bring the wild to you. We take you on a journey into the life of a different animal every week, and I guarantee you you're going to come out of here knowing more about your favorite animal than you did before. This is our Halloween episode, so this week we're going to be talking about one of the most quintessential Halloween animals. Many people are afraid of them, but I assure you that they're one of the most important animals in any ecosystem that they live in. And because they're so important, I got to sit down with Angela Stoll, who is the animal keeper and education coordinator at Luby Bat Conservancy. So I hope you brought your night vision goggles, because we're heading into the darkness to talk about bats. found almost anywhere in the world, and there are 47 species in the United States alone. They're very social animals, and their colonies can consist of around 1,000 individuals. In fact, their populations make up one-fifth of the total mammal population on Earth. And generally, we think about bats living in caves, and they do, but this isn't the only place where they can have their homes, depending on the species. They can also live in hollowed-out trees and man-made structures like mines and bat houses. And we know that they're nocturnal, so they're usually out at night. But there are a lot of misconceptions about bats that we're going to talk about later on in the episode. Now, before we get into talking more about bats, let's learn a little bit about our guest, Angela. I actually started off my career um, working and caring for animals as an animal care, animal keeper. Um, and then I transitioned. I was actually teaching science at a lot of different levels for almost um, 15 years. So I've been teaching. And then um, I wanted to get back into having more of an impact and um, really being able to help people make decisions that support conservation and helps support animals globally. So uh, I was able to find a job where I get to do animal care and education. And um, I've been pretty lucky about that. So bats have always been pretty interesting to me. Um, I think my first experience is I um, am a graduate at University of Florida. And when I went to school there, we had a big, large bat house and everyone would go there and we go and see what they call the emergence of all of the bats leaving um, to go and feed for the evening. And I thought that was pretty interesting, um, especially for an animal that a lot of people don't really know much about. There's a lot of misconceptions about them and people kind of disregard and also don't really understand how important they really are. I didn't at the time either. But then I had the chance to go to uh, Borneo um, for my graduate program. And when I was there, I went to this big, huge cave. It's called Gomatong Cave. And inside this cave, there's a walkway and it goes um, in like a horseshoe shape. 
in the middle of that big walkway is just this biggest pile of guano that you could ever imagine in your whole life. By the way, guano is also known as bat poop. And then while you're walking in the dark on these plank walkway, um, which you don't know what else is there in the cave, you can hear things, you know things, you take out a flashlight and you see a lot of bugs. And then you exit the cave, and then at dusk, you see massive amount of bats leaving. It looks like smoke is coming out of the cave. And so it's just a really amazing opportunity for me to get a chance to see bats in the wild and also to kind of get an idea about what role they actually have in the ecosystem. And as I mentioned before, Angela works at Luby Bat Conservancy. I asked her a little bit more about what she does there. So uh, I work at Luby Bat Conservancy. Um, It's just outside of Gainesville, Florida. And I am an animal keeper and I'm the education coordinator. So most of my day is spent doing animal care and husbandry, anywhere from cleaning. (laughs) I do a lot of time, spend a lot of time cleaning. I make diets for the bats. Um, Since our population is fruit bats, I'm cutting up a lot of fruit. (laughs) And... um, Any medical concerns we have, so if any of our bats need medications um, or if they uh, just need it, we have one bat we do some exercises with, um, like a little physical therapy. (laughs) Um, So um, any of those kinds of things. In addition to that, we're doing, um, we do enrichment for our bats, which, you know, everybody likes to call bat toys, which is super fun. Um, So we're just trying to give the best care that we can for our bats. And then... When I'm not doing that, (laughs) um, I get to do private tours on site. I also get to help with field trips that come to um, Luby. Um, I also get to do Zoom classrooms. Um, And I got to help with, we recently had one of our uh, sponsors who is an artist. She came and did a day of painting with the bats. So I got to help and support with that and um, give a tour for all of those folks that are there. Uh, Right now, we're really gearing up. We have this big fall festival coming up. It's called Bat Fest. So I'm going to be giving some presentations for kids um, at Bat Fest. And we're going to have a kid zone and all that kind of stuff. So I get to be um, a big part of that. So I'm really lucky that I get to continue with the education and talk about bats all the time. (laughs) Um, But then I also get to do a lot of animal care and um, really make sure our population gets what they need to have um, great lives. So you probably know that I'm biased, but the educational aspect is so crucial to the conservation of these bats, especially because there are so many misconceptions about them. One of the biggest misconceptions is that bats are blind, and Angela is here to debunk that myth. So we actually have there's have a couple of different bats. We have 13 different bat species at Luby. And the way that they category bats mostly is into two major groups called the microbats and the megabats. And here in the US, we have microbats. And that makes up of most of the percentage of the bat population globally. They're mostly insect eaters. And these are bats that are going to be hunting in the evenings looking for those yummy bugs. 
And they're going to be using echolocation. And echolocation is an ultrasonic sound that they're going to be emitting. And then they're going to be listening for the echo. So as that sound goes out and it bounces off um, different objects, hopefully an insect, it's going to be able to send back that echo, which has a whole bunch of information in it that could include um, how fast that insect is moving, um, where it's located, where it's headed. And that's how they're going to zero in on that insect and snap it up. And a lot of times, I don't know about you, but where I live in Florida, we have a lot of bugs. <laughs> yeah. So anytime you're outside in the heat and the humidity, bugs are attracted to you. And so when they're flying around you, that's a great place for a bat to be. <laughs> so they tend to find out those little places where you are and where the bugs are. And um, so a lot of times we have these myths like bats like to fly in your hair. Well, no, you just have a lot of bugs around you. <laughs> so they're just trying to catch those bugs. But our micro bats use echolocation to locate their food. And they do have um, eyes and their eyesight is pretty good. Um, our mega bats, which are, are mostly a lot of fruit bats, they have very large eyes and they're not able to do echolocation. I believe there's only one or two species that live in caves um, in the Middle East that can do echolocation. Um, and it's even a little bit different from what our bats in the U.S. do. So those fruit bats are really using their eyesight a lot to help locate their food, you know, the fruit and mates and everything else. Echolocation is so cool and really important for a bat's life. But I never knew that some bats don't use echolocation and rely mostly on their eyesight. So obviously we know they're not blind. Now let's hear some more information about what different kinds of bats eat. Right now, I believe there is 1,421 um, species of bats that have been identified. And a major portion of them, I believe it's about 60 to 70% of them, are insect eaters or insectivores. So they're catching um, bugs. One of my favorite bats is called the pallid bat. And it's located in the United States in the Southwest. And what this bat does is that it actually is locating scorpions as one of its favorite foods. And it will um, hunt the scorpion on the ground and scoop it up. And they believe that it is not affected by the scorpion's venom, which is also very amazing. So um, you have all of these big amount of bats are out there eating insects. And um, some of them, some species do special specialize in what their diet is. So you have also, the bats are eating fruit. They eat flowers, they eat nectar or drink nectar. But you also have three species of bat that are located in Mexico, Central and South America. They're called the sangivores that are the bloodsuckers. And they're usually going to be looking for slow moving mammals like cows and cattle and things like that that they might feed off of. But that's only really three species again, out of almost 1,400 species. And then you also have some that are so specialized. You have some bats that will um, actually prey on birds. You'll have some that will prey on frogs. Um, I even have seen pictures of bats that will scoop fish out of the water like an eagle. So you have a couple of these species that will really specialize on what they'll consume um, or what their diet is. And it's very interesting. But for the most part, we're very lucky that a lot of bats eat insects. And it's really impacted um, the agriculture here in the U.S. So if you think about how much 
the bats are eating. So if a bat can go out and consume at least half its body weight of bugs in one night, and you have millions of bats doing that, you can imagine how much that's helping with our agriculture. It's saving us billions of dollars in loss of food that, you know, someone else like people could go and eat. And also hopefully we can use less pesticides. It's kind of crazy how many different organisms bats eat. But one thing's for sure, if you're not a fan of bugs, you should really be thankful for bats. So Angela mentioned that there are only three species of bats that drink blood. It makes you wonder why so many of us are afraid of all bats because of this fact. So it always seems like it comes down to, especially in the animal and wildlife world, to things that we don't truly understand and that can kind of make us a bit more afraid. So if I go back to that time when I was in that cave and I couldn't see what was around me, but I knew that there are a whole lot of bugs around me and there was a big old pile of poop in the middle of the cave and I could hear all of the things that were going on. I could hear all the birds and all the bats and everything. Um, That's really scary and intimidating. (laughs) So I imagine that when you start to learn that there are these um, animals out there that can fly and that can suck your blood, that is um, probably pretty scary. (laughs) So if you start to take the things that you're afraid of and you don't really know much about them, um, I'm sure that they can become full blown out into something else more scary than you can even imagine. So don't worry about it, guys. There's only three species. (laughs) I mean, I would be more afraid of mosquitoes, to be honest, since we know mosquitoes do transmit diseases than I would be of the single board, the three species of blood-sucking bats. (laughs) And I see this with so many different species. One crazy rumor about an animal starts, and everybody takes it as fact. And this can be hurtful to the animal because people could start seeing them in a negative light. Okay, let's take a break. And when we get back, Angela is going to talk about some of her favorite facts about bats. that I want to recognize on this week's episode of Notable Figures in Science is Mary Golda Ross, who was the first Native American female engineer. She's known for being a hidden figure in the science of space travel. After she got her master's degree from Colorado State Teachers College, she got a job at Lockheed Martin during World War I, where she worked on P-38 airplanes. She became the only woman on the original Skunk Works team, which was a top-secret research team that became a major consultant of NASA. She helped design interplanetary space travel, Earth-orbiting missions, and submarine-launched vehicles. She paved the way for so many scientists to feel like they could work in the STEM field. If you want to learn more about Mary Ross or this series, check out onwildlife.org. Okay, welcome back. Let's hear about Angela's favorite facts about bats. I think one of the things that's really interesting to me is just that a lot of people don't realize how many bat species there are and the impact that they have. Um, And that the rodents are the most number of species of any mammal group, and the bats are the second. So they really make up a big amount of the mammals that are here on the planet. 
So the mating season for our bats here, for our fruit bats in Florida, is usually about August till about January. And so when I came in um, last season for our mating season, um, we had our largest species, the Malayan flying foxes. We had five females that were pregnant. And so they've had their pups now, and their pups are just amazing and beautiful and getting big. But what is really interesting is that you don't think about them as being mammals. So all the things that we do, they do. Um, they have live birth, they breathe air, they have you know similar vascular systems that we have. Um, and then you're like, wait, where does the milk come from <laughs> exactly? <laughs> so, so mammals is mammary glands. We have mammary glands that we feed our young from. And so the um, females actually have their nipples or teats, right, kind of like under their armpits. And so it's really interesting when you see, you don't, for the first couple of weeks, I really didn't see the pup head. You really just kind of see feet and wings because they're always feeding under her wing. So it was really interesting to me to see that um, kind of adaptation and the way that life has taken its turn for another mammal species, not to mention that they're the only mammal species capable of true mechanical flight, which is another amazing bat fact. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's been really interesting and eye-opening for me as well to see um, our pups grow and develop and to see uh, the true meaning of the word mammal. What does it mean to be a mammal, you know? So because bats are mammals, it's interesting to think about the fact that we have a lot in common with them. They're also really important to the ecosystems that they live in. I'm going to start off with the bats that the most of the species that we have, which are our mega bats, um, our uh, fruit bats. So the fruit bats are really important for two major reasons. One is that they are going to be responsible for helping to grow and regrow the rainforest. You know, people are starting to grow and expand and we need more space. So as we cut down some of those natural or wild areas, um, it's hard for us to help it return to some of those spaces that we need. Um, and bats do that. They're called seed, seed dispersers. So what they're doing is as they're eating their fruit, they're dropping the seeds, whether they're dropping from their mouth or other areas they are spreading those seeds, which are eventually going to regrow the rainforests. So that's one very important thing, not to mention the fact that they are also pollinators. So everybody loves to talk about bees. Bees are amazing and awesome, but bats are too. Bats are also pollinators and you can see bats going from flower to flower. They're drinking the nectar, they're eating flowers, but they're also spreading all that pollen to help to reproduce more flowers and more plants. And, and where are a lot of our bats are from, just take one area like Southeast Asia, for example, they are um, helping to pollinate 70% um, of the plants that are there in that area. So if you enjoy a lot of things like, for example, like mangoes, bananas, you know, all kinds of uh, fruits, um, all kinds of nuts also. So they're really helping to pollinate all of those plants that we enjoy as well. <laughs> um, not to mention all of the insects that are being eaten by all of the microbats, especially the ones here in the U.S. So, I mean, they just uh, have so many jobs and roles in the ecosystem. As you just heard, bats are not only important to the ecosystems, but also important to us. But a lot of people don't understand that, which can be a real issue for bats. What kinds of problems are they facing? 
So a lot of animals in the wild are facing some of the same um, concerns, and some of those include um, deforestation and habitat loss. So like I said, as people are expanding and moving outward, as we reproduce, we need a lot of resources and space. And so we're starting to come into the area where we're um, butting up against the wildlife. And um, unfortunately, wildlife is losing out. And so what that means is that um, more of the forested areas are being um, cut down for homes and a place to grow crops and things like that that we need. So habitat loss and deforestation is really a major um, impact for all wildlife, including bats. But along with that, overhunting or poaching. So um, by not really focusing on um, species and wildlife management, we can start to lose some of our species, um, including bats. And the, some of the bats I work with, the flying foxes, for example, you know, they're very large. I know you might not be able to picture this, but if you can kind of imagine a bat that's as big as a chihuahua, okay, <laughs> um, and has about the same girth, but also has wings. So, um, you know, if you are looking for something to eat um, and you're in an area where you might not have access to food, it's not as available to you, um, hunting is something that you can do to find food. And unfortunately, in some of the areas where a lot of our flying foxes are, that's the case. And so they tend to be on the menu um, for, some, uh, for some people. And also, if you're not managing the population, that can be too much for the, for the bat population to handle. Not only that, but some species are being impacted by a serious disease. You might have heard of the white nose syndrome. So that's starting to affect some of the microbats here in the U.S. And it's a white fungus that is found on the muzzles and wings of affected bats. And um, what it's doing is affecting bats during their hibernation. So it essentially wakes the bats up when they should be sleeping and living off of the reserves. Um, and it's really kind of depleting that. And when they are woken up, they might need more food. And so if they leave the cave, it's going to be snowing and freezing out there, hence the hibernation. And then they won't be able to find food and they will freeze to death. It's also affecting their respiratory and immune systems. So that's been um, discovered in a couple of states across the U.S. Um, I think it's found in uh, 37 states and seven Canadian provinces at this time. And it's affecting some of our hibernating bat species, like the big brown bat and the Indiana bat and the tricolored bats. Um, so that's something that's also affecting our population, which is not good because I need them to come and eat all of the bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, that's another thing that we're trying to keep an eye on here in the U.S. Luckily, Luby Bat Conservancy is working to help these bat populations. Here at Luby, our mission is really to help to support bats in the wild and their native habitats. And we try to do that through um, education, conservation, and research. And we really try to focus on children and community engagement. So by doing that, like I was saying, I do some Zoom classrooms, I do some outreaches, we do a lot of things on site, we have field trips, and a lot of different groups that come um, so that we can talk about bats. Um, so we do a lot of care for our bats. So we're actually a global leader in fruit bat husbandry, welfare, breeding, and medical management. 
we have about 160 bats that we care for, and we've been doing this for almost 30 years. We also host zoological and medical management workshops along with that. And um, we really help to spread how to care for these bats. And also we help to support with research out in the wild and with conservation out um, in the world as well. In fact, one of my favorite conservation um, efforts that we help to support is called the Rodriguez Environmental Education Program. So we have some of these bats. They look like little tiny Ewoks with wings. They're pretty great and adorable. And they're called the Rodriguez Island Flying Fox. And where they are, they're an island species. So already they have some things working against them because they can't just hitch a flight to the mainland and get what they need. So when locals started to discover that the species was in decline, maybe even somewhere under 100 individuals, um, they started to make an effort to really educate the people who live there and educate the people who come to their area about the bat species. They've even sent some of them out to different zoological institutions. We have a few at Luby as well. And um, with that whole education effort, they now believe they have about 20,000 individuals in the wild. Um, so that right there is just the power to show you by supporting education programs, by supporting a big shift with the group of people who live there, um, that you can really help to make a difference. So um, the Rodriguez Island Flying Fox and the REAP program has been something that Luby really helps to support conservation-wise um, with anything that we can. But that's just like one example of a lot of the programs that we try to help support globally. And um, locally, we try to do a lot of things as well. The staff and my director, especially, his one of his big pet projects is um, bat houses. So they have put up almost 100 bat houses here in Florida, and they have an 86% success rate. So if you're trying to convince bats to move in, you should give us a call. <laughs> so... <laughs> We are trying to also help to support our local bat species. And we have, of course, put up a lot of bat houses, even just in Gainesville. And a lot of local businesses will call us and ask us to help them put up bat houses for them as well. So it's been really helpful. Um, as a staff, sometimes we even go and put up a bat house. It's really fun. You get to use quick dry cement. And um, then you get to come back and check. And you look for um, bat poop on the ground to see if someone's moved into your bat house. <laughs> So it's been really exciting to even just have a big impact locally besides our education component as well. And Luby is doing such amazing work because we're starting to realize just how important it is to keep bats around. One of the things that they discovered about bats and the way that um, animals work in ecosystems and the way that ecosystems operate is that there's a keystone species. And in a lot of ecosystems, bats are that. And a keystone species is integral to the maintenance and the working of an ecosystem. So if we lost that species, you could see a catastrophic collapse of the way that the ecosystem functions. And when I was in school, we always used the example of otters and sea urchins and kelp. So if you have the otters that are managing the population of the sea urchins that they eat, and then you have the sea urchins eating the kelp and managing that population. So if any of those little pieces gets out of whack, 
you're going to start to see that ecosystem collapse. Maybe we run out of sea urchins and then the otter population collapses um, and then the um, sea kelp grows to be too much. So anytime that you're um, having any effect on the keystone species, it's going to have a possible catastrophic effect on the ecosystem. So we're finding that out. A lot of bass species tend to be those keystone species in an ecosystem. We really don't want to see what would happen if the bat populations are lost. It could be extremely detrimental to everybody. So we already talked about what Luby is doing. Now, what can the average person do to help? One of the biggest things, especially here in the U.S., well, is just talking to people about bats. Like some people are going to be like, no, I don't really, no, I'm not interested in bats and I don't really want to talk about bats or hear about bats. I'm like, what? <laughs> I talk to everybody I can about bats. So, I mean, even just educating other people about them and telling them about how awesome they are and how important they are to an ecosystem can go a really long way in um, changing people's ideas and minds and the misconceptions that they ha- might have about bats already. But here you can also avoid some of the places that bats might be. So you can honor cave closures and gated caves and mines. So if you like to go and check into those dark, scary places like caves and you like spelunking, um, of course, just be mindful of the effects you might have on wildlife, which really goes when you're anytime you're out in the wild, any place where wildlife could be. Um, so that's important. Something else you could do is you could plant a bat-friendly garden. So um, a lot of our native bats species are going to be attracted and looking for those bugs at night. So maybe you can have some good places for them to be. You could even have a bird bath that is used during the day for birds and maybe used at the night for bats. Um, You could put up a bat house. Um, You can build them. You can get all of the instructions online. You can purchase a bat house um, online. You can look up how is the best place for you to put them up around your house. You can email us. We'll help you with any questions that you have. If you want to put up a bat house, even if you're not in Florida, email us. We can give you some tips. Um, We can try to answer some of your questions. But another thing is you can also just learn about your local species and you can see if there's any way that you can help and support them. Um, Some of the things that we do at Luby, um, of course, we always take donations (laughs) because we're a non-for-profit. So that's always very helpful. But we also get people who just want to learn more about bats and want to try to help and volunteer. We, we are supported. We're a very small staff, so we're supported a lot by volunteers. Um, they come and help us care for our bats, but they also come and help cut up fruit. They also come and help clean, and they also come and help do everything else that we don't always have enough time to do. So you can also find out more about your local bats. You can see if there's some way that you can contribute, whether that's with your time or uh, possibly with money. A lot of non-for-profits do Amazon wish lists. I know we are always doing Amazon wish lists for baby food. I know you wouldn't think it, but baby food is made up of fruit, right? <laughs> so we give our bats um, really enjoy baby food for enrichment. They get a lot of juices and things like that. So that's always a good way to contribute as well. But anything you can do to try to help and support in your local area would be a great place to start. Angela just listed so many things that you could do, which is amazing. It's important to remember that every little bit helps. And that was such an informative interview. I learned so much about bats, and I hope that you did too. You've seen how they can get such a bad reputation, 
but they're arguably one of the most important animals on the planet. Luckily, there are some awesome organizations that are helping bats right now. You should absolutely go check out Luby Bat Conservancy, but you should also take a look at Bat Conservation International and Bats Northwest. Thank you so much for coming on this adventure with me as we explored the world of bats. You can find the sources that we used for this podcast and links to organizations that we referenced at onwildlife.org. You can also email us with any questions at onwildlife.podcast at gmail.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at on underscore wildlife and on TikTok at onwildlife. Don't forget to tune in next Wednesday for another awesome episode. And that's On Wildlife. On Wildlife with Alex Ray. On Wildlife provides general educational information on various topics as a public service, which should not be construed as professional, financial, real estate, tax, or legal advice. These are our personal opinions only. Please refer to our full disclaimer policy on our website for full details.